0: The uh, sins of impurity are being exposed all around us almost every day. I'm sure you're aware of them. What we've seen lately in the entertainment and news industry, as well as in the political world, have shaken us. Although there has been a flood of new stories of impropriety lately, this kind of behavior is nothing new to the human race. Uh, Need I remind you of the book of Genesis that we covered That book records very similar actions, if not worse. Um, Starting as early as Genesis 3, the moral meltdown began in the human race. From the earliest days of human existence, we have had tendencies to drift this very direction. So this is nothing new to us, is it? Um, Sadly, the church hasn't escaped this either. The human heart is actually enclosed in darkness and within that darkness are all sorts of evil desires and impurities of every kind, and we are witnessing them on the public forum now before our eyes. You may have been tempted to think, well I wouldn't have done that. Have you had that that thought cross your mind in the past month? And I would simply ask, are you sure? Are you sure you wouldn't have done that? If the circumstances were right, Could you possibly see yourself doing some of the things that these have been accused of in the past month or uh, two months? Um, I I think that that we need to be careful on how we we think about these things because the worst things that we have thought of are certainly in this category, if not worse, aren't they? Um, The Bible tells us that as we think in our hearts, so are we. And so, have you ever thought about things that are similar? Have you ever thought about things that might be a little bit more dark than what's been recently exposed? Um, These things shouldn't surprise us because those of us who know um, the sin nature understand how this happens, even in our own lives. Because of our fallen spiritual condition, we all have a tendency to drift away from God and towards sin. And so so to guard ourselves from being judgmental and being genuinely able to pray for those who we're hearing about almost daily, we need to each realize that we have the same sinful inclinations in our own heart that motivated each and every act that has hit the news in the past two months. Now, you may not have had those very same desires. Maybe you've had them, maybe you haven't, maybe you've had worse. But the point is, each of us have had desires to act out in a way that would be just as offensive to God as anything we've heard of lately. How can we free ourselves from this kind of thing? It seems that we are stuck in a, in a bog of impurity. And this, this, this impurity that we've heard of, that we've seen, maybe that we've experienced, sticks to us like tar, doesn't it? And it's almost impossible to shake. How can we honor God with our lives, not only with our conduct, but with our thinking? God knows both. How can we escape the grasp of impurity that saturates our culture? I want to suggest to you that God has an answer. And I I expect that you thought you would hear that. God does have an answer. He actually gives us a road map, a way out, a way through the impurity that we all experience. The last two times that Sherry and I have driven to Colorado to visit my parents, uh, we've uh, taken back roads and highways and byways, scenic things, on purpose uh, to just make the trip from here to Colorado a little more interesting. And I can tell you firsthand I'm thankful for GPS. GPS is a wonderful invention, and we used it more than once. Um, Without it, getting lost on the back roads of Montana is quite simple. Um, But with it, we seem to be fairly confident we can find our way. We're fairly confident that this road leads to some place. It's not going to end in a dead end on some back road out in the middle of nowhere, although sometimes it feels like that. But this GPS is a good thing. It's... It's unwise to ignore GPS maps and say things like, well, you know what, this looks like a fun road. I think we'll take that, see where it goes. We all used to know people like that. We, they're gone now. We don't, know, we don't know where they are. And you just thought they left our church. <laughs> no. no. No, that's a recipe for disaster, isn't it? Well, in the same way that we need physical GPS to get from here to Colorado, We need need divine GPS, if you will, to make our way through this life. We need divine global positioning system. Let's just call it this, God's positioning system. So when you see GPS from now on, you can think of God's positioning system. That's what we need. Our lives are full of challenges from the day we're born to the day we die. We have all sorts of things that that we're confronted with. We have conflicting advice, deceptive direction, dark and dangerous pathways, and on top of all those things, a heart that's easily deceived. We need God's positioning system. Look at Psalm 119, verse 9. That's going to be the focus of the day. How can a young young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. The question there is simple, isn't it? How is a young man going to keep his way pure? How is he going to navigate the impurity of this culture? Notice that the first stanza, or remember, if you will, you can also look at it, it's right in front of you. The first stanza begins with a promise of blessing to those or a promise of happiness to those who live a blameless life. And then the second stanza that we find ourselves in today begins with a parallel thought in the form of a question. How can a young man keep his way pure, blameless and pure? These are parallel thoughts, and both of them are found, or the way to those things are found in the same place. What's it say? In God's word. And by the way, for the next two years, that's the answer. In God's word. All right? Because we're going through Psalm 119, and every verse goes back to that very truth. Where is the answer to this question or that question or this problem or that problem? It's in God's word. We'll hear that every single week. And again here, the happiness promised in the first stanza, the way to purity in the second stanza is found in the same place, God's word, God's positioning system. And so as we approach this verse today, I wanna summarize it as follows so that you can remember it. Consistent purity in life, that is a life that pleases God consistently. Consistent purity of life requires consistent intake of God's Word. And so if you want to have a life of purity, if you want a life that that relieves you of the the, uh, morass that we all find ourselves in and gives us direction through it, you must consistently find yourselves in the Word of God. Consistent purity in life requires consistent intake of God's Word. Let's look at this verse word for word. Let's look at the strategy or roadmap for purity. He asks a simple question. How can a young man keep his way pure? The question assumes something very basic. What does it assume? We all struggle with purity, right? The King James even translates this, that the, it's not just, as we say in the, in the English standard, by guarding it according to your word, or how can a young man keep his way pure? It's how can a young man cleanse his way? The translators of the King James Version assumed we're already tainted. All of us. How are we going to cleanse ourselves of this? The thought is clear. We have a natural inclination to defilement, and we need to be cleansed from it. Psalm 51. You're familiar with David's uh, um, plea in Psalm 51, verse 5, where he tells us that even in his womb he was a sinner. Remember that? He goes, "In sin my mother conceived me." Yeah. When when you were in your mother's womb, you were a dirty little sinner. How can that be? Well, sin has passed from generation to generation. We're born sinners. You know, we don't sin. We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We don't have to wait for that child to come out and actually sin and then, aha, you are a sinner. You know, they sin because in the womb, in their nature, they're sinners. So the answer to the question is simple, is very simple. The path to purity is found in God's word. How do we get there? How do we cleanse ourselves? How do we keep ourselves pure? By guarding it with God's word. And so in in order to navigate the maze of life and keep pure throughout, we must use the roadmap or the GPS that God has provided. Consistent purity in life requires consistent intake of the word of God. And this, of course, says that the word of God is the standard. The word of God is the guide who help us through this system. This is is what we need. You know, as there are many opinions about the nature of purity in this world, and there are many, uh, the Word of God is the standard and guide. We must obviously hold to that as Christians. There are many who follow other standards, but there really is only one true plumb line, and that is the Word of God. Some people use the standard of conscience as their guide. Maybe you've tried that from time to time. Um, Well, I'm just gonna go with my heart on this one. You ever found yourself saying that? Let me read for you why that's dangerous from Jeremiah 17. He says, the heart or the conscience is deceitful above all things. There's nothing more deceitful than your heart, (laughs) is what he says. So the minute someone tells you to trust your heart, run. All right, that's, that's the fountain of bad advice. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Don't trust it, Jeremiah says. Others have claimed that the culture should be the standard. I mean, for Pete's sake, all of us combined ought to be able to come up with something, right? That's the idea. Well, take a look at our culture. Should that be the standard of purity? For us? Of course not. What have others used as their standard of purity? Some say the laws of the land. The laws of the land should be our plumb line. Well, we have laws in this very state that are contrary to the word of God. Are the laws of the land something to trust? No. Others like to say, well, I like to, I like to just kind of follow the example of, of good people. I'm going to um, line my, myself up with, with those who have, have walked this life uh, circumspectly, and I'm just going to line up with them. I'm, I'm going to follow their advice, follow their example. They say things like this. Well, Francis Chan does it like this, and he seems to be doing okay. Uh, so what I'm doing is what he's doing, so we're okay. I'm okay, you're okay, that kind of thing. Spurgeon did it like this, Luther did it like that, so... No. Friends, uh, men are fallible. Godly men are fallible. So the standard cannot be uh, our culture, our conscience, the laws of the land, or the examples of good people. There must be a standard outside of us, all of us, and it happens to exist. It's called the Word of God. The Word of God is our standard. The Word of God is our guide. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, be holy as God the Father is holy. And so God is the standard of purity. God, as revealed in Scripture, is the standard of purity. Nothing else. And, of course, this creates a problem for us, doesn't it? It would be great. You know, you know why people choose uh, other people's examples as a standard or the, 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 the laws of the land or conscience or so forth? It's because they can find a comfortable place there. That's why they choose those things. The minute you say, God's word is my standard, you have a problem. We all have a problem. And that is this, you can't match it. (laughs) None of us can. We cannot match the standard by which God has set. Be holy as your heavenly Father is holy, give me a break. You can't do that, I can't do that. So that presents a problem. It leaves us in quite a dilemma. And it's because of our fallen condition, this sin that we found ourselves in, our mother's womb. It's it's this sin that just has totally um, consumed our nature. We cannot go a day, and I'd like to see you try. Go a day without a sinful thought, a sinful action, or a sinful attitude. Have you done it? Have you even tried? Where does this leave us? Well, it leaves us under the judgment of God. The Bible tells us there's only one way to be reconciled to him, or to be cleansed from our guilt, or to be made pure. There's only one way to become holy like Jesus. You know, it, we need to know that, that uh, our religion's attempt to make, it, make, our, make us like God is not unique to Christianity. Every religion wants to make their followers acceptable to God. That's the point of religion. But there is no true way to peace with God, to be right with God, to be truly pure as God would have us without God's revelation of himself and his son to us. And so those religions that deny God's word or add, God, add something to God's word have no hope of ever being reconciled to him or being pure as he requires. Prophet Jeremiah was on to this. He said this, Thus says the Lord, stand by the road, look, and ask for the ancient paths, where the good way is, that's the pure way, the upright way, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. That's where you're going to find uh, rest for your souls. That's where you're going to find acceptance with God, is on the right old path, the way of purity. And what was the answer that Jeremiah heard? We will not walk in it. So God has given us a map. He's given us a, uh, a guidance system, the good way revealed in his word, the way of purity, the, the, the answer to the question in verse 9, place where we can find rest for our souls and what do we do we will not walk in it as clear as you make it God we're not following your GPS is the standard answer of all humanity it's been that way for a long time we want to be independent of God we want to pursue God our own way what's interesting to me is that we naturally resist resist God's authority all that we want is acceptance God, I just want to be accepted by you, but I don't want to follow what you're saying. How much sense does that make? In this rejection of God's requirement of purity, of God's way to purity, all mankind find themselves guilty before God, alienated from Him, and hence, under His judgment. This is where every single human finds himself. And yet, in spite of this truth that we all face, that we're going to be facing God one day, and, and explaining ourselves to him, eminent judgment, we continue to try to do things our own way. This is the way of the human. Um, take Adam and Eve, for example. My way is what I want to follow, Adam and Eve said. This is what, is inter- this is what I'm going I'm to do. God, I- thank you for your input, but this is what we want to do. Things have not changed since Adam and Eve. Halfway through biblical history, we find this said in Micah chapter 6. With what shall I come before the Lord? How am I going to be right with him, is the question. And how, and bow myself before God on high. And so the, the, the prophet Micah comes with a lot of suggestions. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil. How about this one? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for your, shall I sacrifice my firstborn? Is that enough, God? Absolutely not. None of those things qualify. None of those things make you right with God. And friends, humanly speaking, there's nothing else we can offer. The Jews thought that their diligence to religious ritual would cover their sinful rebellion. Gentiles had no clue. They were grasping at straws all over the place, including human sacrifice. You see, there is no man-made means of solving our problem with God. There's no way to pacify God for our sin. There's no way that we can become just before him. There's no way that we can be at peace with him. There's no way that we can be pure before him unless he acts. And here comes the remedy. He's acted, praise God. Hasn't he? He's acted. He has done something. God has moved in his word. God has moved in the word. In God's revelation of himself in scripture and in God's revelation of himself in Jesus Christ, we discover the way by which we can be made whole and pure and right with God. How can a young man cleanse his way? Open the scriptures is the advice. Open the word. In there we find the strategy for purity. And friends, there, there is an eternal remedy and a daily remedy. We've heard already both of these things this morning as Dennis led us through our liturgy. The eternal remedy deals with the condemnation for sin that we all are facing, the, 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 the penalty of sin, we like to call it. The Bible clearly points us to Jesus Christ for, for the only possible cleansing. We, we, need to, we need to come to him humbly, confessing our sins, uh, embracing him for, for all that he's done for us as our God and savior. When we come to him with this attitude, he grants us actually a free gift, the gift of forgiveness and also the gift of perfection. Jesus' death on the cross pays the penalty for sin for anyone who will turn their back on sin and trust him. This is the eternal remedy because that's the only way to be relieved of your condemnation. Paul told the Roman church there is now, therefore, no condemnation for whom? Those that are in Christ Jesus, right? This is the great exchange that Dennis referred to also. So we have a bunch of sinners and a holy God with an irreparable problem, except God has made a way. Here's his way He transfers our sin to His Son. All your sins, past, present, and future, are placed on Christ, on Calvary. God God the Father takes the purity of Jesus Christ, the perfection of Christ, and places it on all those who will come to him by faith. And so what do we have? We have a bunch of forgiven sinners who look pure to God. Why? Because of what Christ has done. He's taken our sin and given us his righteousness, his perfection, his purity. And so if you have embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know what it means to be at rest, don't you? You know what it means to have your sins forgiven and to have God fully satisfied because of Christ's work for you. You're personally acquainted with that if you know Christ. You stand pure before God. Isn't that an amazing thought? You, of all people, stand pure before God. And where do we learn this? Is this a slick little story that some theologians made up a few hundred years ago? No, we learn learn this in God's Word. That's why we're being pointed continually back to the Word. Psalm 19, rather, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord, that's the Word of God, is perfect what's it do it converts the soul the ESV says it revives your soul it gives your soul new life the, the Bible does this for us are you seeking for for purity are you are you looking for a path through the, the evil world in which we live are you looking for a way to please God Are you looking for acceptance from him? The Bible tells us that comes from Christ, and that news revives the soul. But there's also this daily remedy we need. We have the eternal remedy, all right? The penalty of sin has been taken care of by Christ on Calvary. What about the sin you committed this morning? What about the sin you're going to commit tomorrow morning or immediately following this service, how's that sin taken care of? How's that impurity dealt with? Because it's going to happen, as you well know. How do we deal with the presence of sin? Well, the Word of God also actually deals with that. Not only the eternal remedy, but the daily remedy for our struggle with impurity. Look what it says in James 1. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his his natural face in the mirror and goes away forgetting what he looks like. (laughs) So the word of God is the place where we can see exactly what we need. Daily, what does God expect of us? How does God want us to live? How can we become like Jesus? How can you stop thinking the way you think about your neighbor or your spouse? How can you start glorifying God and pleasing Him with your actions, thoughts, attitudes? The Word of God tells us it's those who look intently into His law where these things are found. We look into the Word. We look into the Word to to discover what God's will is for us on a daily basis. And then guess what happens? The Holy Spirit takes God's Word and washes us with it. He takes God's Word every time you open it, And washes you with the word. Are you in need of cleansing? Are you in need of washing away the impurities that have contaminated your feet as you've walked through this messy place? Guess where you go for that? The word. The word of God. He uses the word of God to clean us, to transform us into the image of Christ. This is what we... Sang again this morning in the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, the last stanza, Adam's likeness, Lord efface, get rid of that likeness, I don't want to be like sinful Adam, stamp thine image in its place, I want to be like Jesus instead. And then he says, let us thee, uh, let us thee though lost regain, thee the life, the inner man, O, to all thyself in part, formed in each and every believing heart. See, Christ is in the the business of transforming you or conforming you to his image. And guess how he does that? And it's not by sleeping in and then getting up and reading the newspaper. He transforms you by the intake of his word. Christ resides in his word. And when you open it and read it, not only does he wash you, from all the impurities, he builds you up for the day ahead. This is the word. So how, do, how does the word of God give us daily remedy? It's in there where we find God's standard of purity. And we go and look, oh, I, I should stop lying. What else? The word of God cleanses us. How, what else do we see in the word of God for our daily battle with impurity? Here's some good news, friends. You have a personal advocate standing before the judge. You have Jesus Christ himself in heaven, it says, without ceasing, praying for you, advocating for you. When there might be someone to accuse you, Jesus is there quick to say, no, he or she is mine. I've paid the penalty of that sin. I'll take care of it. I have taken care of it. Friends, this is good news. He's waiting for us to come to him with our struggles, with our failures, and he's anxious to restore us to relationship with God. You might be saying to yourself right now, well, Pastor John, you don't realize how grievous my sins are. And you don't realize how often I sin. You know the answer to this, don't you? (laughs) Jesus is infinite in his mercy and grace. Jesus will forgive any sin if you'll bring it to him. There is nothing too great for Jesus to forgive and cleanse us from. He he communicated this through the apostle Peter. He communicated this to us through the apostle Paul. If God can save Peter and Paul, he can save you. He can forgive you. So don't don't stand at a distance with your false humility and say, oh, I've sinned too greatly. That's that's, uh, actually pride on display. Jesus specializes in hard cases. So the word of God is where we go to be cleansed from our sin. This is what Paul told the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, he says, since we have these promises, these scriptural promises, what are we supposed to do? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. The word of God brings this holiness, this, this cleansing that takes place. The great Puritan pastor Thomas Manton said this, Oh, then, if the young man could cleanse his conscience and quiet and calm his own spirit, he must of necessity take up with the word as his sure direction in the case. This is the only way to keep the way pure. Friends, if you want eternal, an eternal remedy to your impurity, if you want a daily remedy to your impurity, the place to find it is here. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. That's how. Friends, the Bible reveals that if anyone is interested, the path to purity is found in the word of Christ. This is God's positioning system. You must have it. You must use it. Let's look at applying this strategy to our lives. How do we apply the strategy? How did the, the psalmist tell this young man to apply the strategy? He said by guarding his way according to God's word. What's he mean there? How are you going to keep a pure life? How are you going to stay above the impurity of our culture, maybe of your own life? By guarding it, guarding your way according to God's word. The New Living Translation translates that second line by obeying God's word. So guarding includes the idea of obeying, but I think it goes a little bit further, it has a little nuance to it that the word obey doesn't hold. We are not just to obey the word of God, certainly we're to obey it, but we're to guard our lives with the use of God's word. Now, some of you in here are Luke Skywalker fans, and um, you know who you are, and Luke Skywalker had a favorite weapon besides the force. What was it? His lightsaber, all right? Every Christian possesses the same saber. It's called the sword of the spirit. And when Luke Skywalker confronted the enemy and he had his lightsaber, what did he do? Famously, he pulled out that lightsaber, turned it on, and started just guarding his self against all those laser shots from all the bad guys. Lightsaber works miracles in Luke Skywalker's case, and in your case, using the sword of the Spirit, the same thing happens, if you will but use it to guard your life. Obedience obedience is, is not even in the discussion. That's expected. Now we're going to march forward into this battle by guarding ourselves with that sword of the Spirit, with that lightsaber. There have been so many flamboyant examples of Christians who have notoriously fallen into sin that I don't need to give you any examples because you know so many already. But what I've discovered after um, reading about a few of these massive and public failures, there seems to be a running theme through each of them. And guess what it is? A neglect for the Word of God. All these Religious leaders who people were following faithfully acknowledged themselves that why they fell was because they had neglected the intake of the word of God for some reason or another, for some time, and hence fell. Friends, we need the word of God. Psalm 1 verse 2 tells us that the delight of the happy and blessed man is the word. Is that our delight? Is that your delight? And I would say, how much are you struggling with your battle with impurity? How much of this is affecting you? And if it is, how much of the word of God is coursing through your mind? Are you delighting in it? Do you want to grow in godliness and purity? Do you want to be at rest with God and have a deepening sense of joy and peace and the pleasure of God. If so, you must pursue purity. And the word of God, of course, is a map to that purity. One of the the things that I couldn't get out of my mind this past week as I was studying was the importance of this uh, truth for parents. So listen, parents, to me. Do you want your children to wander through life like they are lost in a maze, never finding but always searching for peace and contentment, fulfillment? I've actually heard parents say that they don't want to indoctrinate their children because they would like their children to choose their own way and and find themselves. And I can say this after much thought, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. one of the primary roles of parenting is indoctrinating our children. Parenting, parenting goes way beyond um, having babies. Um, we, we must indoctrinate our children. If we do not, the world will gladly oblige. And they do. If you want that, then just neglect the reading and teaching of the Word of God to your children. But if you want to give your children a sure foundation on which to build their life, a life of joy and fulfillment, a life of purity, a life that they can pass on to their kids and grandkids, then you must saturate your kids with the Word of God. It's got to happen. You need to read it to them, teach it to them, memorize it together, sing it together, bring them to our children's Sunday seminar regularly, midweek student ministry, where the word of God is taught. Friends, this doesn't happen by accident. Getting the word of God into your children, into your own life, isn't chance. You must... You must practice this. You must regularly be here with your children. You must regularly have the scriptures open before them at home. And regular means daily. You know, some people say, yeah, I regularly go to church. And to them, that means once a month. In fact, I read an article just last week that said, Regular now in the Evangelical American church is once a month. That's regular. That's not regular. That's irregular. That's like saying, I regularly go to Glacier National Park. I've been there once. I'll return in 15 years. That's not regular. God has actually created the cycles of existence to be on a seven-day pattern. And that is not a mistake. Regular is weekly to be here daily, 24-hour rotation in your home. And I just want to emphasize that with you if I haven't already. As parents, it seems that we are very quick to jump to the aid of our children if they fall behind in school or have some kind of handicap. And we should do those things. But we also are paying for private math tutors and personal soccer and baseball trainers so that our our kids will have an advantage, so that our kids will make the team. But what of the personal spiritual trainers that your children need? What should be our greater concern? Do you even know the spiritual needs of your children? You know, it's so easy for us to imbibe the doctrine of this world. We we live in this swamp, don't we? We can't get out of it. And we don't need to do anything to be affected by it. Just keep doing nothing. And the world will have its way. But to safely navigate the worldly swamp in which we live, we must have and use God's guidance system. We, We must have this in hand and use it. And it's not just enough to have a copy. We must find it open in our hands and pouring into our souls. And the reason is because the Bible is what I've been saying all along. It's full of what God wants us to know. Um, it's, it's full of His doctrine, His teaching. You know, and many people, we hear, tire of Doctrine. Doctrine, 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 doctrine. You know, I would say this, there's nothing else. There is nothing but doctrine when it comes to our relationship with God. Your relationship with God is based on doctrine. Jesus is doctrine. (laughs) If there's no doctrine, there's no Jesus. So, doctrine is like bread. you know, you can, you can have bread on the shelf. You can even hold bread in your hand. And it does you absolutely no good at all, nutritionally. You can have a list of doctrines on your home. These are our top ten doctrines, kids. We're going to learn these things. And unless you eat the bread and live the doctrine, you find no nutrition therein. You must eat. So why does the psalmist here, let's get down to the nitty-gritty of the verse. Why does the psalmist point this instruction to young men? Why does he identify the young man when we all know that all of us are sinners? Young women, old women, old men. Everybody's a sinner, and it seems, in fact, that sin actually has a tighter grip on the older, which is the point. The old men who are making news today because of their impurity were at one point young men practicing impurity and ignoring the Word of God. Right? They didn't wake up one day and said, I think I'm going to do something perverted today. No. This was a pattern established from their young age on. Youth is the time to grab the mind and establish the patterns of the heart. Can I say this to you, young people, if you're young in this room and you decide whether or not that's you, listen to me closely for the next couple minutes. Youth is the time to grab the mind and establish the patterns of the heart. In the 15th century, Ignatius of Loyola said this, Give me a child for the first seven years and I will give you the man. You know what he meant? The young are very important. You establish the patterns of their life in the first seven years and they will follow those patterns the rest of their life. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Which is why the author of verse 9 says, to whom he says it. Young men, the young don't have the experience or the knowledge to establish or correct the paths of their lives. Young people, listen to me, you need a source outside of yourselves for wisdom and direction. You need God's system. Listen to me, please, youth. You will demonstrate the depth of your wisdom by how you respond to what I'm saying. You will demonstrate the depth of your wisdom, which can go far beyond your age, if you will listen to what your godly parents are instructing. Assuming you have godly parents. Again, Pastor Manton said this, Oh, what a sad thing it is that when the body is going to the grave, the soul has not yet learned to converse with God. Is that what you want, young person? You want to find yourself on your deathbed going, I wonder who God is. I wonder if he's real. Believe me, you don't want that conversation with yourself when you're on your deathbed. So why the young man in verse 9? There are three reasons. First is because it's reasonable. I mean, we we do a, a lot of talk about how great God is in this church, don't we? How good he is, how wonderful he is, how loving he is, how patient he is, how kind he is. If he is all these things, why would we wait till we're old to practice our pursuit of him? God is great. I'll see you when I'm 50. <laughs> that doesn't work. That's like saying, I have a million dollars in the bank and I'm not going to touch it until I'm 50. Dumb. You see, the Bible is God's instruction to all of us about himself. He is good. He is loving. He is the best of everything. He is more excellent than all that you can imagine. And he is available to anybody who will come to him. Open the door and I will come in with you and eat with you and you with me. That's the invitation, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Open the door, young person. Secondly, because it's necessary. We know that strong affections and passions come with youth, don't we? Those of us who are older than 25 know that. Which is why Paul told Timothy to flee youthful passions and turn his youthful energy towards pursuing righteousness, faith, and love. Why? Because... Young Timothy was full of passion, and he didn't need to express it somewhere. All youth have youthful passions, and if one is going to please God, they must focus those passions on the pursuit of Christ, on the pursuit of purity. I have said to myself many times, I wish I had the energy I had when I was 20. I might be able to make it up these stairs, you know. <laughs> It's also necessary to make the pursuit of God and the pursuit of purity in your youth because it's in youth where the enemy attempts to derail us more than at any other age. If he can get his foot in the door when you are young, he's got his foot in the door. (laughs) And try to get it out. I could bring up adult after adult in this congregation because I know a lot of your testimonies who would verify what I'm saying try to get that foot out of the door, see how that goes. The only effective method of fighting this onslaught is the intake of God's word. Thirdly and finally, because it's important Why did the psalmist address the young man? Why is he concerned with youth? Because it's reasonable, it's necessary, and it's important. Uh, Young people, listen to me. Middle-aged on down, listen to me. (laughs) No one is guaranteed long life. And you hear that, and it just goes off the back of your neck like water off a duck's back. Yeah, that's for somebody else. Be wise for a moment. Be wise for a moment. Friends, it's important because death does not just take the aged. It's also important because the nature of sin, it grows stronger with practice, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? It becomes harder to shake the more you participate. It's like salt water. You ever try to quench your thirst with salt water? (laughs) Makes you more thirsty, doesn't it? It's the same way. If you will run to Christ and embrace him and his word when you are young, then there is so much less to untangle. This is why the teacher in Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 1, says this, Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth before evil days come, And the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. The wisest man who ever ever lived wrote Ecclesiastes. He's speaking from experience. He knows what it means to have no pleasure in life. He, He knows what it means to have evil days come. And his advice to us is, remember your creator when you're young. And for those of you who weren't here last week when I I explained, or the week before rather, when I explained uh, this idea of youth and thinking that, well, this must not be for me because I'm not young anymore, uh, you have the rest of your life to look forward to no matter what your age in this room. And so I hope you don't dismiss this because you're somewhere near middle age or above. And so, young people, listen to me. Since you're at the beginning of your life, begin with Christ. Prove your wisdom by taking this advice. Go with God, go with his word. How does a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. Consistent purity in life requires a consistent intake of God's word. Let's pray. Lord Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is the source of life, eternal life. It's the it's God's positioning system. Father, it's what we need to navigate this impure world in which we live. It's your strategy for cleansing our way that has become soiled by the impurity in which we walk. Father, your word is is a beautiful gift from you. that includes a revelation of yourself in Jesus Christ, a revelation of your will for those who will follow him. A cleansing power for those who will open it. A clear direction for any, what, anybody who will partake. Oh God, my prayer is for these in this room. That you would have mercy on their souls by giving them a hunger and thirst for your word. I pray that there would be nothing else in the lives of those present that would satisfy like your word. I pray that your spirit would excite their spirit to to open the pages of your holy scriptures and find therein the things they seek. God, have mercy on us. Bless us. You have blessed us so much. But we ask this one more thing, that you would continue to draw us into a, a deep desire for you and your word. Father, now as we come to the elements that are before us, we thank you that in Christ we have these elements seen clearly. Christ's broken body for us represented in the bread that's, that's broken before us. Christ's spilt blood that was done so on our behalf, represented in the drink. Father, we have these two elements that teach us of Christ, that strengthen us in Christ. Help us, Father, now as we come by faith to receive these things from your hand, that you might do what you've promised, that you might encourage the weak, um, remind us of the forgiveness found in Christ, strengthen us for our daily spiritual lives. We thank you for them in your name. Amen.